Ana Castillejos hosts a morning radio show based in Dallas. But when she's not doing that, she's probably listening to Taylor Swift. I've always kind of joked and said that Taylor Swift writes music for me specifically because the way that her music has lined up for my life has just been so perfect. Like she released the song 15 when I was 15 and the song 22 when I was turning 22. I say that it's the soundtrack to my life because it is. Anna's such a Swift fan that she co-hosts a fan podcast. Her favorite album is Red because some of those songs helped her through a tough time. I did a long-distance relationship for like two years. And I would go and visit my long-distance boyfriend and then get on the plane and listen to Red. And I would listen to the song Come Back, Be Here. And she sings about having a long-distance relationship in New York. And he was in New York. I would fly into New York. So it was just the details were just very fitting for me specifically. Red originally came out in 2012. But last week, Swift re-released the album with new versions of songs and some extra tracks. I was so excited. I was over the moon. I was running on adrenaline. I was looking forward to it all week. I called it Taylor Swift Week because we were leading up to Taylor Swift Day is what I called it. What did you think when you first heard it? And what are your favorite parts? Oh, my gosh. Everything. Absolutely everything. Swift is not just re-releasing her music for her fans. She's doing it because she doesn't own the originals. And she wants to have versions that are all hers. I mean, it's her art, you know, it's it's hers. It's her emotions, it's her heart, it's everything. It's her entire story. And for someone else to profit off of that just feels wrong. Swift's battle to control her musical legacy has delighted her fans and inspired other artists to do the same. But now, music labels are finding ways to make that harder. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Tuesday, November 16th. Coming up on the show, Taylor Swift's quest to own her music and how big labels are fighting back. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Taylor Swift signed away ownership of her music in 2005 when she cut her first recording contract with a label called Big Machine. At the time, she was 15 years old and living in Nashville. She had a guitar and a talent for writing country songs. As an unknown artist, her deal with Big Machine was a pretty typical arrangement. Historically, it's pretty standard that when you sign to a major label, you give up what are called your master recordings to that label. Anne Steele reports on the music industry. So this label is assuming risk of signing you, helping you record your music, distributing it and promoting it. And in exchange, typically an artist gives up the ownership 
of the music that's created during that contract to the label. For a few years, this deal worked well for everyone. Swift became a huge star, selling millions of records and making a lot of money for herself and for Big Machine. But in 2019, the masters of her first six albums fell into the hands of someone she really didn't like. Big Machine put itself up for sale, was looking for a buyer for a few years, and was purchased by Scooter Braun, who's a celebrity talent manager and sort of rival of Taylor Swift's. He manages big stars like Justin Bieber, who's not had the best relationship with Taylor Swift, and Kanye West as well, which, of course, Taylor Swift historically has real bad beef with. Swift spoke out about the sale of her music to Scooter Braun in a blog post. She wrote, quote, Never in my worst nightmares did I imagine the buyer would be Scooter. Swift said she tried to regain ownership of those six albums she made with Big Machine. But Big Machine didn't give her the opportunity. The label denies this. So she very publicly rebuked this deal. There was a lot of public barbs traded back and forth. And then she went on Good Morning America, said that she was going to re-record her music to regain control of it. And basically said, you know, come November, that appeared to be the the time when she was free to start re-recording and she would be free from any conflicts with her contract. You've also said that you're planning on re-recording some of your music. Is that true? Are you going to do that? Yeah, that's true. And it's something that I'm very excited about doing because my contract says that starting November 2020, so next year, I can record albums one through five all over again. So Swift began the process of re-recording, which meant redoing the instrumentals and vocals on each track, and in some cases, getting original collaborators back in the studio. And in April, she released her version of the album Fearless, She called it Fearless, Taylor's version. Anna Castillejos, the Taylor Swift superfan, listened with enthusiasm. I thought it was perfect. I I thought it was great. It was really cool to hear her sing the songs that she wrote, you know, over a decade ago, but with her voice now. You know, she's singing these songs that she wrote when she was 14 and 15, singing about finding love one day. But now that she has found love, it's really cool to hear her voice now and her sing about that now. And do you listen to the old Fearless album, too? No, not anymore. Why not? (laughs) Well, I think just because of the whole the whole reason that she is re-recording her music now that she's able to re-record her music and her master so that she owns it and it's fully hers. I'm only going to listen to that. Like, I'm not going to go back and listen to uh, the regular Fearless album when it profits someone else. And how much is Taylor's sort of empowerment of owning her own art part of what the fans are connecting with? I think it's really strong. I think she's like showing us that she can do it. You know, it's not something that she just kind of said one day like, oh, I'm just going to re-record my entire master's and devalue the originals. Like, no, she's actually doing it. I think it's very inspirational and I think it's fantastic. Lots of Swift fans seem to love the re-release of Fearless in the same way Anna did. Anne says that it was an instant success. It went to the top of the Billboard albums chart and streamed incredibly well. It got radio play. It got playlisted on Spotify's best playlists and on Apple Music. 
it really got the treatment of like Taylor Swift is putting out an album, even though it was music she'd already released. This was treated like new music. Is Taylor's decision to re-release her albums based on financial gain? What is her motivation? Her motivation is about control. So yes, a part of that is financial gain, but a lot of it is, you know, this being her life's work and her baby and her art. And so whoever owns that controls it and benefits from it financially. Swift plans to re-release all of the six albums she originally made with Big Machine. And on Friday, she released a version of one of her most popular albums, Red. And she went even bigger than she had with Fearless. This one was very much treated, I think, more like any new release. She went on the late night talk shows, Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back. Taylor Swift is here. Come on. Seth Meyers. Her album Red, Taylor's version, is out tomorrow. She was the musical guest on SNL. Ladies and gentlemen, Taylor Swift. And give us a sense of the numbers. How big has this re-release been? It has just been massive. So on its opening day, it became the most streamed album in a day ever by a female on Spotify with over 90 million streams globally. Anne says one reason the album was a hit, it includes a 10-minute version of the song All Too Well, which fans believe is about a relationship she had with the actor Jake Gyllenhaal. In the 10-minute version, the verses are longer, and there's more of them. And each time you think you've heard the worst of it, there's more. And there's this driving beat under it that like carries you through and it's just verse after verse after verse just plunging deeper and deeper into sort of the devastation of this relationship and sort of the running joke you know since this thing came out is that Jake Gyllenhaal whom the song is presumed to be about must be in hiding because she just sort of eviscerated him lyrically Ouch. Definitely ouch. Swift's new versions of her albums have been so popular that they've amped up tensions between other artists and their labels. Because a lot of musicians have seen what Swift has done and are thinking about doing it themselves. So this has got a lot of artists looking at their work, looking at their future work, and considering you know, what are my options? If I'm a new artist and I'm looking at signing a deal, do I want to try to maintain ownership over anything I record going forward? If I'm an artist who already has music out, you know, should I look at re-recording? And so this is inspiring artists to think about their work and how they can own it. After the break, how labels are pushing back.
This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight. Live tomorrow. Shop now at natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. In the music industry, Taylor Swift is known for her huge commercial success, but also for championing the rights of artists. For example, in 2014, she pulled her entire music catalog off Spotify in protest. She felt musicians were not being paid enough each time their songs were played. She eventually allowed her music back on the site in 2017. What's interesting is that when Taylor Swift does things that are like a business move, it's very much sort of in this, here's what I'm doing for myself, but also here's why I think it's important for the industry and the artist community as a whole. And so she started to really speak about ownership and, you know, controlling your work and your art and your life's work. And so she's really inspired people to think about that. It was in this spirit that Swift negotiated a contract with her new label, Universal, in 2018. In her new deal with Universal, Taylor Swift is at the top of the industry. She is what we call a superstar. So she has much more leverage and much more negotiating power. So when you hit that status, it is much more common for an artist to negotiate and say, yes, I'll sign to you, but I want to own my work. So... Anything that is recorded under this agreement, Taylor Swift owns and Universal Music licenses for a period of time. And so they'll handle the distribution and promotion and things like that. But at the end of the day, Taylor Swift owns the albums and the music that she records. Few artists have quite the sway that Swift does. But some of them are now able to reach star status and have more leverage because of the way the music industry has changed. Technology has made the entire process of recording, releasing, and promoting your music so much easier. So, you know, we've seen artists record in their bedrooms, and then you can put that on SoundCloud. You can use any number of independent distribution services to get to the major streaming services. But the cost of getting your music out there is so much cheaper. So it's actually kind of turned the tables a little bit because here's an artist who is going viral on TikTok. That's translating into streams on their Spotify. Labels are taking a look at that because streaming is where the bulk of recorded music income comes from at this point. And that can turn into a bidding war. So we have started to see artists ask for things that would not be typical, particularly for a new artist signing to a label for the first time. And one of those big asks is ownership. 
So increasingly, artists are looking at owning their work from the beginning. Taylor Swift's own label, Universal, has responded to this changing dynamic by adjusting the terms of its contracts. It's extending the length of time before artists are allowed to re-release their music. Typically, an artist can re-record either two years after the end of their recording contract or five years after their last recording is delivered, whichever is longer. Universal is increasing this to five and seven years and is now only letting artists re-record two songs in the seven years after that period. In this new contract language, they effectively double the amount of time before an artist can begin re-recording their music. And it gets to around the 14-year mark, which is significant because after 10 years, most of the money on music has been made. So what the labels have shielded themselves from in this case is an artist going out and creating competitive recordings during the time when a label is making the most money that it can from the music. While Universal's contract changes won't affect Swift's re-releases, Anne says they could have ramifications for new artists who may want to re-record their albums in the future. So these changes to the contract terms aren't happening because of Taylor, but do you think the two are connected in any way? I think it's certainly interesting that Taylor Swift is doing this right now, and she's doing it successfully and at a scale that we just haven't seen before. But it's interesting that it might be difficult for artists to do this going forward because generally what happens at Universal, which is the largest company and most influential, um, that will roll out across the entire industry. So that's sort of what artist lawyers and managers are expecting and a little concerned about. If Universal and other labels are going to be tightening the terms on artists, what is it that they're offering artists in return? The labels are still incredibly powerful. Just because an artist can record and put their music out there doesn't mean that they're going to be successful or that it's necessarily easy to find success. Because it's so easy to put music out there, there's just a flood of new music to streaming services and the internet every single day. So to really rise above that and be a breakout success, the major labels are very good at that. They're the ones with relationships and the backing to get your music around the world and help you get on the radio and playlisted in the right places. So the labels still have a lot of power. I mean, we see Taylor Swift, her deal was up. She could have started her own label, her own company, but she chose to go with Universal Music, and that says a lot. That's all for today, Tuesday, November 16th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. And a quick disclosure, Gimlet is owned by Spotify. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.